0: This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmaurice, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views
1: on Liverpool FC.
2: Hello and welcome to another Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitz. Uh, Hope you're doing well, hope you're keeping safe, hope you're keeping your masks on, hope you're observing the fact that this is a very, very real pandemic. Uh, and we will get through it together by using a bit of common sense. Um, We're here to talk about all things Liverpool Football Club, the comings, the goings, the ups and downs, mainly downs at the moment, but we'll we'll get through it all right. Joining me today, Matt Addison and Sean Bradbury, both, of course, from Liverpool Echo, uh, both uh, very worldly, wise and knowledgeable on Liverpool Football Club. Good afternoon, Matt.
1: Afternoon, mate. How are
2: you? I'm all right, mate. Not too bad.
0: I'm struggling, struggling with the... The current form, but we'll get through it. Sean, how are you feeling, pal? Not too bad, mate. I'm I'm in desperate need of some fitzy therapy, though. I'm really going to treat this as a, a cathartic session, get a lot off our chests, and uh, hopefully feel a lot better about ourselves after it. I'm looking to, I'm looking forward to giving you an online rubdown, pal. <laughs> um,
2: all right, let let let's kick off with it, shall we? Let's just set the scene. Uh, a month ago, we were all celebrating. We were all stuffed, top button open, watching bed knobs and broomsticks. You know, post-Christmas, top of the league, um, and then you fast-forward it a month and blabby how things change. One win in seven, the only win we've had, of course, against the largely under-23s Aston Villa side, so doesn't really count for much. Um, it's a slump, boys, isn't it, quite frankly? We'll go on to the, to the where's and why forwards, but, Matt, let's just get you to start with, just to explain where you think things have gone wrong and how, hopefully, things will, will pick up as soon as possible. Answer that one if you can. <laughs>
1: yeah, where where have things gone wrong? I mean, where haven't they gone wrong? I mean, it, it, it's pretty much all over the shop, isn't it? It's uh, It's been a, a really tough period. It's been tough to watch. It's been tough to to sort of think about and, and try and work out where it gets better because every single week there's sort of a new problem, isn't there? There's the fullbacks that have been an issue. I think Fabinho for the first time looked like a little bit of an issue. He looked a bit tired, gives away the, the free kick that Manchester United score from. For example, there's... A few other bits and pieces in in other areas that are not quite as perfect and at any given time in, in any season i think you have one or two of these issues across the pitch the problem for liverpool has been that it's been all over the pitch all at the same time all with the injuries and, and everything that could possibly have gone wrong has gone wrong but but liverpool are still up there they're still in contention i'm still confident certainly that they can turn this around and i think there's Obviously, a a huge amount of big fixtures to come for Liverpool. I think they're fixtures that possibly could suit the way that Liverpool play and and the the sort of big occasion, the big moments that that Liverpool have had could, you know, hopefully help to to turn this around. And the the thing for me is that Liverpool have dropped a lot of points over the last few games. Of course, they have. But as much as, you know, that is the case, it can also work the other way as well. So it's, it's quickly dropped off a cliff for Liverpool in terms of performances and results but it can just as quickly turn around. So I'm optimistic, um, but of course it it does have to change pretty quickly. Liverpool do have to improve because they're almost on the verge of of being out of the title race at this point in time, and you just don't want it to to get any worse.
2: Yeah, I mean, Sean, 21 points worse off than they were last season. Look, last season was a phenomenal uh, title uh, win for Liverpool. It was a relentless barrage towards winning that title, is that? Is this the tricky second album that they say in music? Is this this thing where they've done it? There is a lack of, even if they don't feel like there's a lack of hunger, there is subconsciously a lack of hunger. How does a team demolish Crystal Palace 7-0, which, was, which at times looked like a, an exhibition? I was expecting the music to play when the Harlem Globetrotters are on, that sweet <laughs> Georgia Brown. It was a beautiful game of football. How does a team go from that to, to where they
0: are now, Sean? Uh, it's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I, I think you're absolutely right, though. When, when you look at Man City last season, they had um, two seasons of phenomenal performance, phenomenal outputs, record totals, winning the league. And then the third season came around and it, and it turned into a bit of a slog for them at times. And, you know, that was in um, a situation where for most of the season it wasn't a pandemic. You know, they were already miles behind Liverpool, as you say. I think Liverpool have hit that, hit the skids in that respect now a little bit. I think it's, you know... All the efforts for them, because it because it was, let's not forget, it was two seasons, wasn't it? It was the Champions League win and another 90-odd points the season before last. So they've been going at that pace for quite a long time. I think that that's a massive factor. Gary Neville was on Sky the other week saying that. I think he was saying, you know, in his United days, that was often the case with them. I think he referred to three seasons of effort and then a fourth one being really difficult for them. But I think that's absolutely a factor. But, yeah, like you say, you, you know, you're wiring the clock back to... Remember, after the West Brom draw, I kind of thought, well, all right, Allardyce has come there. He's, he's not the type of fixture you want over the Christmas period when it starts to get a bit relentless. But I kind of thought, well, that's, that's hopefully the worst it'll get. It's the most defensive team you'll have to face. Um, you know, the most difficult low block to break down, if you like. And hopefully the Reds can be a little bit more expansive and expressive against the, the rest of the teams they face. But, yeah, I think you look back now a lot across the block of fixtures as a whole, I think there's been a bit more of that and it's been a bit more problematic than I thought it would be. Perhaps as well, I think the, the players in Klopp thought it would be. You know, I think there is there is a lot to be said for how unique circumstances of this season are. Uh, you know, a lot of those teams are they're already teams who sit back and challenge you to break them down and you know come through the middle and try and do what you can to them. But the lack of pressing has, has been absolutely marked. I'd say, you know, it's the, the the way that Liverpool turned teams around and you know hurt them on the transition. It's just been almost impossible to do because these teams have stayed low and just said to Liverpool come and get us come and break us down but like Matt said the injuries have been crippling I think you know the obvious ones the long-term ones Van Dijk and Gomez have, have really started to bite but I think there's just been plenty of disruption over and above that as well I mean losing Diogo Jota was an absolute killer at this period he was he was such so good to start with and then I think you need that little sprinkling of freshness and players like him who can come in and do a job over a really tricky run like Christmas. I think Thiago as well. I've I've kind of felt sorry for him over the past handful of games because he's just he's having to play him his way into form and fitness and familiarity as well with the players around him. And and to do that against all these teams, these, you know, teams that sit back and 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 really kind of just invite you onto them is is difficult, you know, and he's had disruption as well, obviously, with what happened against Everton with his with his COVID spell. Um yeah, I think there's there's, there's there's lots and lots of reasons. I think it's one way, you always search for one factor, one big reason why a slump like this happens. But in this instance, there's lots of them, which is good and bad, I suppose. You know, if, if Liverpool can sort a few of the things out, then hopefully they can uh, kick on again soon.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was one thing noticeable against Man United, certainly in the FA Cup game, that it was it was that lack of that, you know, Liverpool of the past few seasons, We were double up. To, to, to win back possession when they'd lost possession. And I remember Danny who was playing for Arsenal when we played them at Anfield. I think it was I think it was the first home game of the season. And afterwards he said, Liverpool, and it was a wonderful quote. It was one of them wonderful kind of Google Translate quotes, but it still works so well. Where he said, Liverpool, take away your air. And he said, they cannot allow you, they do not and will not allow you to think on the ball, to think in possession. As soon as they lose the ball, your heads up and then around you, they're all over you. That's gone. That's that's a long way from from the Liverpool we used to see. And, and it might be what you've just said, Brad, uh, Sean, that, that there is there is a fatigue kicking in. But I will put another one to us, and let's address the elephants in the room, shall we? Because quite frankly, it's made me really, really annoyed over the last few weeks. You know, we played United and and their star man, certainly in the FA Cup, was 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 by somebody who is is often challenged for not doing enough. Um in the FA Cup game, he was everywhere. And what he was doing was he was he was sitting in front of the back four. He was protecting the back four. He was breaking down attacks. He was moving forward in transition quickly, getting the ball, knocking it out to the wings, getting them counter attacks, moving again. Basically, he was doing a Fabinho. Now, my question would be, do you think Paul bonker would have been man of the match if he'd have been shackled as a centre-back? Of course he wouldn't. The problem, one of the main problems, and I think the problem that that, that has has stemmed all of what we're facing at the moment, is the loss of a world-class centre-back, which has meant that Klopp has had to redesign the way we're trying to play football. Fabinho and the the, uh, things he was doing last season, where he was breaking stuff down and getting stuff moving and getting that momentum going alongside Henderson, who was driving everyone forward. Uh, He's not there to do it. And like Matt just said, he is starting to feel like he's a little bit leggy. He was caught out, um, obviously, for the Burnley goal. So my point to you, Matt, sorry for whittling on, and it's it's one that I'm so frustrated with it, is why, in God's name, have we not addressed the centre-back issue? And it looks unlikely that we're going to. Um, it's, It's a disgrace for me. We are sitting fifth in the league. We are seven points behind Man City. We are seven points further back being in 12th place so this is not only a possibility of of, uh, of a real long shot of retaining the title we could see ourselves the way things are going outside the top four outside the top six we could see ourselves out of the European football why is this being allowed to go on matt
1: well again it's a, a really really difficult question to answer i think the the first Point. Absolutely
2: damn you. Sorry, I'm just really angry.
1: (laughs) This is is Liverpool's transfer strategy, isn't it? And we know that it's worked for them in the past. Um, but I think it's an absolutely fair point to say, well, in the past, they've sort of been chasing to get into the top four, they've been chasing to win the title, they've now done that, and they're in a different position to what they were before. So therefore, the transfer strategy should evolve at, at the same rate and obviously again we've used the the term unprecedented circumstances for so many sort of periods you can't necessarily look back and go well they haven't done it in the past but you know they've never been in quite this situation in the past before the the need to to have somebody in there has never been quite so desperate so Look, I think it's a massive gamble. I think it's a massive gamble for for many, many reasons. I think Liverpool will get into the top four, but the question then is 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 that enough? And there will always be that lingering question of: had they spent a little bit of money in this transfer window, could they have won the title? Now they might spend the money; it might not happen anyway. But it's just that feeling, isn't it? Of just never quite knowing how far you could go. And of course, there's. The Champions League this season to to come as well we know obviously they play Leipzig if they can get through that who knows how far they can go in that competition but they are sort of hindering themselves because we know that Joel Matip is not going to play a huge amount of games history suggests that he can't play two games a week forget you know two games every week from now till the rest of the the end of this season so look I completely get the frustration the answer in in simple terms as to why Liverpool haven't gone out and, and haven't bought someone is because they don't feel that the right person is available. They don't feel that there is a player for the right fee and, and the right price that can come in and do that. And I understand that. You You just have to sort of trust them as much as possible that they've done as exhaustive a research as possible. But it is incredibly difficult to believe that there's not one player somewhere in the world of football that might be an increase on on Reese Williams. And that's not, you know, a slight against him. He's a nineteen-year-old kid. He shouldn't be in this situation. I think it's it's almost unfair to put him in that situation. Don't get me wrong, I think for for the majority of matches, I think you'd be absolutely fine with Reese Williams in that team. I don't think and, um, you know, the, there's necessarily a problem, but it's it's these bigger matches, isn't it? You saw it was it was absolutely brutal what Marcus Rashford did to him at the weekend. And, and you wonder, you know, confidence wise, long term, what will that do to him? So I think that the answer is to, to your question as to, to why Liverpool haven't done it is because they don't feel like there is anybody that they can bring in. But I think there's, there's certainly at the very least a question to be asked as, as to whether that is genuinely and, and really true.
2: Well, Sean, I, I mean,
1: I take on board everything you say and very,
2: very well put, Matt. But as far as I'm concerned, what this does, and I've never been, I've never knocked at FSJ, I think they've they back very, very well. They've invested in this club very, very well. There's no doubt about that. But Sean, this we might as well be a shoe shot, might we? Because all they're clearly doing is balancing books. Look, they bought Liverpool in 2010 for 487 million pounds, Forbes. Recently, valued Liverpool Football Club at two point two billion pounds. The amount of prize money we've won them in the last few seasons alone, and if you add to that the fact that Klopp is a shrewd buyer, we haven't we haven't gone out and spent vast amounts of money. And also, I think the majority of Liverpool fans are saying, "Look, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not acting like spoiled kids here. We're saying, fix a massive problem." Like you just said, Matt, it's hard to believe. there's nobody out there that's because it's unbelievable it's it's nonsense there is a player out there i mean i'm talking now about somatic who played with 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 uh it was free out of his contract he's ripped up his contract he's sitting there going well you know come and get me surely this is a a no-brainer it's like having a hole in a boat and saying, well let's just stick your hand over it so we get that five miles over to land but we have got stuff that can fix it now what is what is the problem sean is this not a huge a huge disrespect and lack of support for, for the team, the club, the fans and
0: Jürgen Klopp. I, I think on, on balance, yeah, you'd have to say it is. I mean, like you said about the nature of the owners, I think they've always been clear, you know, John Henry not long after he, he came in a decade ago was, made it obvious how they were going to operate and, and they've always stuck to that and, you know, it's, it's principles and practice that's got Liverpool where they are and, and all that is, is all well and good. But yeah, this this situation now where there's there's more night kits been released than we've actually got fit centre halves is is crazy. Um, you know, I, I have I have some sympathy for them with how it's played out. Um, you know, but I do think big mistakes have been made, and I think there's two really when you when you assess the situation. I mean, it's very unlucky that Van Dijk and Gomez got injured at the same time, and currently with long-term injuries, that is almost unprecedented, isn't it, for two players and for that to happen. Um, and I think to an extent Klopp's judgment has been proved right. When when they started talking about Fabio being able to fill in as a fourth centre-half, he's done that superbly, by and large. Like, like we said earlier, there's been the odd mistake, the odd flash, where he's looked like a midfielder, um, but playing in defence. And he's, he's made a tackle in an area where Van Dijk would always stand up, and and it's cost Liverpool. But the, the two big errors, I think, what one is last summer, and whether or not it's it's about directly replacing Lovren, the thing that I think now in hindsight was an error was not getting rid of some of the fringe players, maybe not compromising a little bit on price, not freeing up some funds and in some way being able to then make a move for a defender. Obviously, they brought in Simic as well. And and hopefully in the fullness of time, he'll, he'll get a run and that will be necessary. I mean, Robertson's been working to the ground, hasn't he, so far this season? But I think you've got to look back a little bit last summer. And then the other one for me is, is November. I mean, you look back to October when... After Van Dijk was injured, and the comments from Klopp then were quite relaxed. I think when he still had Gomez, Matip was floating around. You know, Fabio was starting to look quite good at the back. Um, But he was talking about you know Mascherano style options who could come in and do a job for him. You know, if he needed to use Henderson or others at the back, and he seemed relaxed. But when after November Gomez is out, that's the point for me that they should have been planning for the first of January. You know, never mind this point now at the end of the window where you're hoping for someone to come in. I think at that point, they, they had to try and do something. Um, and, and it does seem, as Gosty said in a couple of pieces this week, borderline negligent that that, that hasn't happened. Uh, the, the only thing I would say is, you know, we we're, we're, we all speak as fans on on topic like this. And obviously at the FA, you know, we'll, we'll try and report on it with what information we have and, and obviously in a responsible way. And, and we do have imperfect information. We don't know exactly what discussions are going on at, at the top level. And I think when you look at Klopp's comments, And his kind of rhetoric and when he's been asked and pressed about the situation, it has become a bit more pointed and a little bit more desperate. I think I'd imagine that the chats that he says he's having every day with Edwards and the hierarchy, you know, he's really asking, is there anything that can be done? You know, what what can we look to do? I I think if if they weren't looking at paying a premium for someone that they wanted in the summer, you know, a Ben White and Upper McCarno, whoever, you know, we we keep getting told that recruitment work that's going on now is looking ahead to the summer. I, I think surely they must be trying to see if any of those names will be available. And this is where I have a, a, a crumb of sympathy, you know, a Ben White or an Upper Meccano. These are players who are involved in in Ben White's case of relegation battle, probably. Uh, in the other in the other lad's case, he's, he's coming to Anfield, he's playing Champions League games, he's, he's involved in the title battle. You know, it is it is really difficult, but I think what you said before, Fitti is spot on, you know, that's that's on them really. And, and there must be a name out there who can come in and do some kind of job. I, yeah, I find it hard to believe that isn't the case. But all, all that being said, and, and, I, and I do think you know this. This will cost Liverpool. It will cost FSG. You know, God forbid Liverpool don't finish in the Champions League spot at the end of the season. That's that's a huge thing for FSG and their investment. But I do think the one bit of hope I have, even if even if Liverpool don't sign a centre half in the in the next few days, is there's a lot of problems at the minute. And I do think if they put some of the other ones right, it will all seem a little bit rosier quite quickly. Um, so yeah, that, <laughs> fingers crossed that the, the, the forwards can start banging them in a little bit and. Get a couple of wins in these bigger away games coming up, and hopefully we'll all start to feel a little bit better.
2: Yeah, it's a tricky one, Matt, isn't it? But I, I <clears throat> I'm one of these people who believe that Liverpool Football Club, they, 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 their play, sort of magnifies what Jurgen Klopp is about. It, it personifies Jurgen Klopp, and he personifies the team. And the team have played in the last couple of seasons with a joy, with a fun, with a passion, with a Togetherness with a team spirit that was virtually impossible to break, and at the side of it all, like in like, like, uh, with his waving the baton, like some you know maestro in charge of, a, of, a, of an orchestra, was the wonderful, affable, funny, unshakable Jurgen Klopp. That's not Jurgen Klopp now, that's not the Jurgen Klopp I'm seeing. The Jurgen Klopp I'm seeing is someone who knows he's being let down, knows he. he, 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 he the belief in what he has done is is, is it, it, it doesn't exist. Knows that he's asking for stuff he's not getting, and knows week by week that the the fun is draining out of that club. The fun is draining, and I think that is being put onto the pitch. I think we are watching players who aren't connecting. You watch Trent run down the wing and whipping this ball that you know is not even a fifty-fifty after time. Uh, I've, you've seen a drop in virtually every person on that pitch. And, and Klopp is one of them managers who part of his genius is that you could walk in the room with a cob on and five minutes with Klopp and you'll walk out feeling on top of the earth. And that's what he does to every player, which is why, you know, um, carry us apart. Every player he's touched has improved. Because he knows how to mentally improve them, I feel that like he's really suffering at the moment. Jurgen here, here plot. I think the fact that he has come out recently and, and mentioned that he's that he would love a centre back, and the fact that he's trying to pair up, you know, uh, Fabinho with Henderson when he's when he, which are clear messages to the boards that the two he's got, Nat Phillips, he clearly has no trust in whatsoever. Although the guy only had one game, he does. He's very in, you know, he's very raw, but he, he does the job. Um, he has no, he has no, he has no faith in them in this particular moment in time, and I feel that we are watching a really tetchy, a really unhappy Jurgen Klopp. And when you think about what he's done for this club, it just compounds the anger and frustration that the, the, I, I, think uh, FSG are causing.
1: Yeah, I think that there's certainly something in that. I think there's, there is obviously. Um, a link between the, the feelings and, and the way that Jurgen Klopp is at the moment, and, and the way that the players are. I don't know if you saw the, the press conference before uh, the Tottenham game, previewing that, but I actually thought he was a little bit more upbeat in that. I think he he answered the questions in in a way and sort of it, I, I don't know quite how to describe it, but he wasn't quite as, as touchy as maybe what he has been of of late and, and in recent sort of interviews and, and things like that. I thought he seemed a, a little bit more relaxed. He was very firm in his beliefs and. Obviously, he has to say this, but I do genuinely believe him that, you know, he thinks that this will get better. This is obviously a big game, a big opportunity. And I do think we saw signs of positivity against Manchester United. Yes, Liverpool lost, but there were, you know, two goals scored, two brilliant goals from Mohamed Salah, assisted by Roberto Firmino. There were signs that that things are starting to, to change and it, it did look a little bit more fluid. Now, it's not perfect, far from it, but it was certainly an improvement on performances in in recent weeks and you know I think the the comments that he came out with a week or or so ago with uh, the fact that he wants to sign a centre-back and in an ideal world that would be the case I think it it was sort of laid out as a a kind of criticism of the ownership and a criticism that they're not going out and, and doing that but I don't necessarily think that's how he meant it to come across I think he was literally just saying you know obviously we can see that we need a centre-back, but that's not the way that the club operates. That's the way that that he has been signed up in his entire time at Liverpool. It's never been any different. He's never had an issue with it before. So why should he sort of take issue with it now? So I don't know. I, I think that the comments were sort of left open to interpretation at the time. And I think obviously with the scrutiny, understandably, uh, of FSG at this moment in time, I think... Possibly some people sort of took it as a, a bit more of a, a dig at, at the club and the ownership and the way things are run than than probably what he meant it to. And yeah, I, I completely take your point. He has been a little bit more touchy of late, and you know that's again understandable. I think you'd you'd almost be worried if he wasn't like that because Liverpool are, are not winning and are not playing well. You obviously want him to to sort of reflect that. But yeah, there, there is a point, as you say, there is a point that you have to to sort of be a little bit more upbeat and, and translate that onto the pitch and to be honest I did start to, to see the signs of that as I say in the, the press conference ahead of Tottenham he seemed to to sort of confront the issues head on if you like and, and sort of address them and not deny that they were there but sort of go yeah we, we know we understand and and this is what we're doing to improve it It seemed a, a little bit more affirmative I suppose would be the word than, than maybe in recent times.
0: Emotion on the blood red channel.
2: Do you think, Sean, that what, what we mentioned before about about that lack of press and that lack of doubling up and stuff, we we've, we've attributed we've attributed it possibly to fatigue and, uh, and to the long term effect of, of two seasons of really hammering it. Do you think there's a possibility that because of the current situation, Klopp? Is trying to tweak the way Liverpool approach games in a sense that he, he doesn't want doubling up in case gaps are left. And I think he is he 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 has such a sort of a lack of total confidence in the in the back four, or certainly the central pairing, that he doesn't want to leave Liverpool exposed because it just seems to me to be an incredibly different. It's such a contrast and stark contrast to the way we've been playing. I just wonder whether if it was fatigue, they'd just be doing it slower, whereas they're not doing it at all. So is there a possibility during Sean that, that Klopp is just trying to retweak the way they're... Because remember, three seasons ago, we were scoring. Before we got Alisson and, uh, 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 and Van Dijk, we were scoring for fun, but conceding for fun. And then he did that tweak, didn't he, in the second season there, where we suddenly weren't scoring as much, but we weren't certainly weren't conceding as much. And I wonder whether this... Different approach is one that Klopp's doing to try and aid to preserve energy because we are doing two you know a game every three days you know on average, but because as well everything is stemming from that it must be as well there must be such a such a lack of confidence in that back four now just because you, when you lose a mountain like Van Dijk it wasn't just his abilities it was the way he brought a team forward wasn't it. So maybe, I wonder if there's a retweet going on.
0: Definitely, and um, we had a piece on the website today, actually this morning, about Van Dijk. Um, just got it open here, let me try and find the stats. It, it, it blew me away, this. It, it speaks exactly to what you're saying there in terms of lack of goals and um, Van Dijk's ability, really, at both ends to affect the game. So yeah, last season, this is in the Premier League, Liverpool scored 21 of their 29 opening goals through either one of three things, either a set piece, so... You know the big man. He got a few headers himself. I think he scored four or five, and a few of them were opening goals. Set piece, a counter attack, or a long ball over the defence from Van Dyke. So, you know, or, or or someone else, but a lot of them were him. And it, it, I think that speaks to exactly what you're saying. This guy is just, uh, and also I think this this taps into the centre back debate a little bit. I think Mourinho said in his press conference today when he was talking about Liverpool injuries, he just said you cannot place, replace Van Dyke. It's a bit like I think he equated it to Harry Kane for them. You know, he's so good and almost so unique, so world-class in his position that you can shop around, you can try and change your style perhaps, but when this person who's so pivotal to how you play is missing, it really makes a big difference. So I think stylistically, that's been one thing. I think like we said before, yeah, you know, the, the whole truncated season, lack of pre-season, I think that affects it at the Liverpool end in terms of how much energy they've got to expend. I think we've been unlucky in the sense that this this little run has been against teams who are, you know, like we said before, are going to sit back anyway, and that affects things. But I think I think a lot of it comes back to Thiago and, and his usage. And I absolutely don't agree with what Divy Haman said in, in the sense of, you know, intimating that there might be almost more long term issues with with him. But I think I think Klopp has maybe this is part of the kind of tetchiness and the and the difficulty with how he must be feeling in this in this current climate as well and decision making. But I think he's almost at times over this little run put Thiago in and thought, you know what? This is not quite sink or swim, but there's going to be a bit of a transition of style here. He's, he's an elite player. Let's just see if he can kind of get us through it. He can keep the ball. He can try and break these stodgy teams down from deep positions. And yeah, I, I don't think that's quite worked. And and that's where I, I, I do feel sorry a little bit for Thiago. I mean, always think back to when Liverpool signed Fabinho. There was there was a spell, uh, not quite this stage of the season, a little bit earlier where they were playing four two three one, and they had him in a like a, like a two to just. Just accommodate him and just bring him into the game and familiarise him with the team a little bit more. But with with this little run now with Thiago, it's kind of just been right on you go. You know, you are gonna be the deep player. Uh, and certainly like at times, especially at Old Trafford, I thought there were there were points where United were breaking on Liverpool a bit and he was he was almost alone and having to cover quite a lot of the pitches like a, as like a lone number six. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's been partly an imposed transition of style. Cause you know, there, there will be a point at which I think where Liverpool are going to have to start thinking beyond that front three, perhaps beyond Firmino. They've already done that a little bit by bringing Jota in and, and Thiago is a big part of it. But I think, you know, the fact that he wasn't able to get a good run of games under his belt right at the start of the season and he's been dropped in for this difficult spell and told to kind of, you know, go and lead the team always from midfield is, is really difficult. Um, so, yeah, some, some of it's been from the Liverpool end, but I do think some of it has been imposed upon them a little bit by, by wider conditions. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, what you just said there about, about not being able to
2: replace Van Dijk, we know that. I mean, I think the frustration with many fans now is that we're not asking for that. We're asking, at the very least, I'd get Ragnar Klavan back. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, what it is, is it's someone who fundamentally is a centre-back, an experienced centre-back. That's all we're asking for. Get someone for a couple of... You know, you know, Liverpool's, Liverpool's losses, they said it's a £2 billion loss over 20 clubs. And it equates to an average of 40, 44 four million pound loss. Well, they earned over two hundred fifty million in prize money, two seasons ago was the Premiership, uh, and other things as well, the, and, and the and and the Club World Cup and all that kind of stuff. They earned Bitcoin off this club, and, and we're not asking. I mean, I just you know, I've 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 joked on many previous podcasts. You know, get Kula Bali alongside Van Dijk, and you might as well put a roller shutter on the goal, because now why not think that way this is this is this is this is what's always frustrated me why not and of course it's because we don't think the way board. we don't think the way owners think think owners don't think like us we're passionate we want the best for our club forever we want to beat everyone every day forever and we want to secure things and we want to we want to make we, if our if our enemies are wounded we want to finish them off and that's what we think but they don't and uh, and that's what frustrates me. The stat you've just brought up about Van Dijk is incredible. I'd love to know a stat on how many pa- uh, pass interceptions Fabinho made last season in his position, how many um, counter-attacks he initiated, how many dinks over the top. That dink over the ball to Sadio Mane, I think, it was against United, wasn't it? it was a beautiful dink last season. How many bangers he knocked in against City and against Palace? I'd love to know his stats, because they're all gone at the moment. They, he, he's, You know what I mean? And that's, that's the frustration thing from a lot of fans, Matt, is... We're not asking for for an eighty million pound player. We're asking for a someone because we have got Gomez, who is who is on the trail as well, and he's a good player. But surely it's just about putting a band aid on at the moment and getting through and regrouping. It's about it's about circling the wagons, isn't it, Matt?
1: Yeah, I think so. And and that, as you say, is the is the frustration, isn't it? You're not asking for a huge player to come in, but I suppose again, like you say, is is Liverpool's approach to it is that they will look at the summer and they will think that they would rather wait, not do that short-term thing, gamble that they can get through to the summer and then get what they that the perfect one then. But it's a massive risk, isn't it? Because if Liverpool were to drop out of the top four, then it doesn't matter how many players they've got on that list for the summer, those players are not going to want to come to Liverpool. They're going to have to pay over the odds. The money situation then starts to, to spiral. and It's one of those things that you, you just want them to to almost just buy someone now for 10 million to guarantee them the hundred million for next year. And obviously in business sense, that that does make sense, doesn't it? It's a little bit of an investment now to just get yourself over the line. And if you have to pay 10 or 15 million more than, than what you would ordinarily do, well, it's okay because that will sort of pay itself back in, in the future months. But look, it, it doesn't look like Liverpool are going to do that. And I, you know, I keep saying it, it's a massive, massive risk. It's a massive, massive gamble. But they know, you know, the, the figures, they know the situation. I don't think we should forget that there is obviously a global pandemic. Nobody else really is is making signings either. It's not just Liverpool. I'm sure, you know, a team like Everton, for example, they will think that they can get into the Champions League. I'm sure there's a few Everton fans who'd quite like them to go out and, and get one more to try and get themselves in there. The same could be said for, for someone like a, a Leicester or... West Ham I think David Moyes has been speaking about you know wanting one or two more to make sure that the work that they've done so far this season isn't undone in the second half of the season obviously we look at it purely from a a Liverpool perspective most of the time but it is a sort of frustration I think for for other clubs as well and look FSG have have done brilliantly for Liverpool but they are sort of making a gamble at at this moment in time that there's no doubt about it there's no way that you can spin it any other way I think and it's a big few months. I was saying this the other day, it's a, it's a big few months for Liverpool in terms of the sort of wider picture of FSG in terms of what we look at for Jurgen Klopp over the next few months. Because if if they could reignite a title challenge and, and really go for it with Manchester City, even if they don't win it, I think that changes them perceptions heading into next season. They absolutely have to get into the Champions League. That is an absolute you know minimum requirement from, from this season if they don't do some of these things, suddenly you lose that momentum. You lose what you've built up over the last couple of, of years. And it would feel like a, a massive opportunity missed, I think, when you know Liverpool have just won the first Premier League title, the first title in, in 30 years. We should be sort of talking up the possibilities, thinking about what do you go to next? Can we retain it? Can we do X, Y and Z? And and instead, we're, we're having different conversations. I think look, there's loads of factors that play into it. It's easy for us to sit here and say, "Look, just do it. See what happens. You'll get your money back." But I suppose, from their perspective, it's just not quite that simple, is it?
2: Well, it is. I mean, that's what frustrates me, Martin. I mean, you've just put it really eloquently, really simply. Ten million will save you know hundred million. In that respect, you know, these are these are businessmen. So I'm sure these conversations have been had between. Uh, Klopp and uh, uh, and and the the owners and uh, it would it would explain why there must be a lot of a lot of frustration kicking around liverpool and that's what i was saying before it magnifies itself it absorbs into the atmosphere and the, one, the,
1: sorry. the one thing, the, the, sorry to, to jump in. The one, the one thing I would say is there's been a few sort of free agents and, and transfers and people like Subatic and players like that 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 Liverpool have maybe been linked with and maybe Klopp has worked with in the past, but. Again, I'm not 100% convinced. I think if, if Jurgen Klopp wanted them and he was 100% sold that they were the solution, I think it, it would have been done. I really, really do. Because, you know, Liverpool, it, it would be an absolute travesty if that was on the table and they, they didn't take that. And I think we we can get carried away sometimes with, you know, Reese Williams was was rinsed a few times at the weekend. But... I'm not convinced if you put somebody like uh, a Subotic or Socrates, who's just gone to to Olympiakos. I'm not convinced if you put one of those two names or, or one or two of the others that have been linked. If you put them in the same position that Reese Williams were in, I think you probably expose a similar lack of pace, a, a similar you know lack of understanding. So it, it's not quite as simple as just there's an obvious name, let's do it. But then it it comes back to that risk, doesn't it? It's about balancing. It's about finding someone. I don't think there's an obvious name that Liverpool should go for. What I'm saying is it's a risk to not have scoured the market and found somebody like a Klavan, which is a little bit left field, which does solve the problem, but just not in that really obvious way of doing it.
2: Yeah, I mean Sean, experience experience gives you that extra yard of pace. That's the that's that's the point, isn't it? Reese is a young kid. He doesn't seem to have a lot of pace, which is a bit worrying because he's a young kid. He should be in his prime anyway for pace. But it's about, and it's what Fabinho has been doing really well, reading the game. And it's about reading where he should be in the next few minutes. And that's what gives you that yard. If you don't have pace, it gives you extra yard. And and, and my point is that a seasoned centre-back would be able to go in and slot in and just know through the seasons and seasons and seasons of plays where they should be. Whereas we're relying on a young nineteen-year-old kid who's learning every game, and we and we are not in a position to be bringing on players who are learning every single game. We are in a we are in a position where we need someone who can hit the ground run and say, "Okay, I might not be able to do X, Y, and Z, but I know how to defend. I know how to to, to to block." You know, and that's the thing. I think we're in such a position. And you're right. I mean, I listened to you know Klopp's press conference, and he, and Klopp is very much saying this thing of like, "There's no belief anymore. You're either." Everything's great or everything's awful. Well, that's, it's always been like that, hasn't it? Let's face it. The problem is that, of course, they've raised the bar so high that expectations get raised with it. And, and Liverpool, you know, from last season of doing everything and being incredible. And I guess the frustration that we haven't been able to celebrate it properly also um, carries a weight in itself, doesn't it? The fact that we're, there's a good chance now that it's all been like Bobby Ewan in the shower and in Dallas years ago where the whole thing was a dream. You know, we'll be we'll, we'll have to we'll have to get YouTube moments of Jordan Henderson lifting the cup because you know the chances are it would be it's a long shot now that we're going to get we're going to get seven points back off Man City, so it's that frustration as well that's adding to it. And Matt's made a great point. It could be that the Klopp is
0: being just very very pragmatic, but it just seems like a huge gamble and one that he wouldn't take, Sean. Sure. Uh, massively. And I think, that, you know, the whole point of looking ahead to next year is that you guys have made this spot on. You know, it's all very well. that the, the steer we're getting from the club and, you know, insiders is that recruitment work is looking ahead to next summer. And, you know, on, on many levels, that makes sense. You know, maybe not quite now, but I, I can understand that perspective. But then if next summer the position that Liverpool are in is outside the Champions League when you've got, you'd have so many problems stacking up there. You know, first of all, attracting players. And um, there'd be the whole issue of the current players you've got, would they want to sign new contracts? If they did want to sign new contracts, would you have the money and the outlay to be able to pay them? You know, it, it would just create so much uncertainty. So I think that that idea of 10 million, 10 million now speculate to accumulate to, 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 get, to gain a hundred million. I think that, like you guys say, that sums the whole thing up. But yeah, it, just, just in terms of a couple of points you made there, you know, I really do feel for, for Reese Williams, you know, you think... Most of the centre halves who've been playing on that right hand side over the last couple of years, they've had Van Dijk next to them. That just makes their life so much easier. I think you like, like you said, Fitty. He's not the quickest. He perhaps never will be, but often centre halves of, of his frame, you know, it, it, you you develop as you go, don't you? Like someone like a Sammy Hippier maybe who's a little bit slower, but got a couple of yards in their head, and and it, and it is like you say, all about their experience, and it does feel like. I mean, I, I don't think fans are really getting on this case. I think everyone understands the situation, but he is being hung out to dry a little bit and like we said, even about Fabio, he's massively being missed in midfield and even even when he played really well, like I think back to that <clears throat> that Chelsea game where he had Timo Werner in his pocket but he was doing a few tackles in areas where you just would not see that happen with Van Dijk and it has caught him out a couple of times, perhaps unfairly, like the Sheffield United penalty was, wasn't even a penalty but he, he didn't stay on his feet which he could have done. Yeah, so someone with a bit of experience. I think I've I've wrestled with this one because I kind of feel like if, if they got them in on the 1st of January then you could have bettered them in like February's so big that I even think if you got someone in now let's like say you got a 30 year old kind of wily experienced center off, and you're throwing them in for the Champions League games for City, for Everton you know probably it would be still the right thing to do but it would have been so much better if that player had been in for a few weeks and could have had a bit of time at Kirby on the training pitch got used to playing with everyone but yeah it's it's not quite over, is it? We've got till Monday for them to still do something. And, you know, the clamour from fans is getting louder. Uh, Klopp's added his voice to it. So, fingers crossed, there is a bit of a Hail Mary before
2: deadline day. And oh, We've still got time to set up a go fund page, haven't we, Matt, if we need to do it ourselves? Um, I'll tell you what, then. Well, look, we've moaned enough about that, but let's just have another... Uh, let, let's just let's just lay, lay to rest another conspiracy theory. I mean, I... You just mentioned that they flippantly sort of comments like, you know, uh, was the Sheffield uh, game, was it a penalty? Um, United's third goal in the FA Cup, was that really a free kick at the edge of the box? Is it me or have we been on the arse end of some shocking refereeing decisions since I'd go as far back as the derby? When, of course, you know, uh, Jordan, Jordan Pickford's, you know, Jackie Chan impression uh that wasn't acted on that now they've got so we should have uh the the man city offside that that has, that has now just been adjusted so you can't do that anymore well that's good isn't eh? it? um have we not been on the end of some absolute shockers this season matt? is there something going on here matt
1: <laughs> there's not something going on no it's it's absolutely massively massively unfortunate the, the one for me is is that everton game that's that is i think a, a huge moment in liverpool season i think Whatever happens, we'll never between... say
2: that to any Evertonians, though, because that'll be their DVD <laughs> this year.
1: <laughs> By the time we get to the end of this season, I mean, that is that's the game that we're going to look back, isn't it? If Liverpool don't win something this season, it that's the one that you look at and you go, Not only you know, was it not a penalty because it was offside, it, it wasn't the red card, the injury to Van Dyke changes, changes everything, I think, for Liverpool, as we've you know, discussed plenty on, on this podcast and, and previous shows. I think that's that's the one that, that really really sticks, isn't it? But Look, there's been there's been lots of, of tight calls. You think of even in that same game that the offside near the end. It look, I I find it difficult to say anything other than it was offside. But you are talking, you know, millimeters if that in terms of you know the the timing of the pass and that sort of thing. It just gets into those fine margins, doesn't it? And like everything else this this season, particularly the last few weeks, it just feels like Liverpool have gone the wrong side of, of that line. They've just not had it going for them. Where Maybe last season it would have gone for them. Maybe it would, you know, have been at a millimetre the other way. It just feels like this season, refereeing decisions, injuries, little things here and there, everything seems to have gone against them. Even things like the the fixture scheduling and stuff like that. Jürgen Klopp's had a, a moan at that sort of thing at one or two periods of time. And Maybe some of these things were going against Liverpool last season and we, we just didn't notice it. Maybe it was, you know, they, they sort of won anyway, regardless of, of these things going against them. But... Yeah, it, it does obviously seem to, to stack up, and you know, I think it, it just compounds, it doesn't it? If you are not getting the results, you are not getting the performances. It just seems to, to stick out even more. Look, it's, for me, it, it just comes down to to look, and it's it's massively massively unfortunate, but that that's the one, isn't it, that, that really will stick is is the Merseyside derby because of the ramifications for for the entire entire season, really. After what was a fantastic performance, which is, has sort of been completely forgotten now.
2: Yeah, I'm still going with Conspiracy theory. Um <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, you, you're absolutely right, but it, it, you know, I heard someone comment, and I think it was Carrick was commenting on on a match the other day, with this this offside rule, which I think is the worst rule that has ever been introduced into a football match, this idea that, and it's only for VAR reasons, where they don't put the flag up on an offside, they let, they let it play that phase out, which caused Van Dijk's injury, because, because if that had been flagged offside, the game would have stopped, the whistle would have blown, he wouldn't have gone in for that challenge. This is the kind of nonsense that that, that has got to be sorted out, that, that offside rule. It is the most annoying. The most annoying. Because if you're carrying it on and then they score and then it gets pulled back for offside, you said just, you know, hamstrings can go. People can get seriously injured. And, as Van Dijk has
0: proven, did get seriously injured and completely ruined the fortunes of a, foot, of a football season, Sean. Uh, absolutely. I think, like you said, nonsense is the word. I mean, you know, you see, after, after so many games now, post-match analysis or press conferences, you've got players, even managers saying, yeah, something happened in that game. I don't even understand the rules anymore, you know, and that's, that's the players, that's the people involved in it at the highest and most kind of detailed level. You know, it, it's crazy. I think like Matt says, you know, I don't necessarily think uh, there's anything going on as such, but I think the marginal nature of so many of the calls and the fact that I, I just think the, the whole situation this season is bizarre you know you look at the table liverpool as as things stand now while we're recording this they're still the top scorers in the league but at the same time it feels like they're not putting that many teams away and, and i think of, the top scorer <laughs> yes, yeah he's, he's, he can he's, score yeah it, it's just honestly it's bizarre but I, I think a lot of a lot of what compounds it is when when these things happen when these decisions happen they've been absolutely crucial like like we said in the derby you know that one right at the end where it was <laughs> You know, you, you adjust the frame on the VAR and, and suddenly Manet might have been onside. It was as tight as you can get. I always think back to the Brighton one as well. The um, penalty that, that Robertson gave away. You know, that was that was crucial. It, it caused drop points. It was a contentious decision. I, I think it's, you know, it's all very well. If one of these things happens in a game where, you know, Liverpool are 2 or 3 they'll up, you forget about it. But so many of these, it's given how the season is unfolding and how you know, the last few weeks have unfolded, it, it's it's a lot harder to forget about them. So. Yeah, hopefully in, in all these big games coming up in the uh, end of Jan and, and February, Liverpool do catch a break and get the odd decision going their way.
2: Well, let's hope, guys. I mean, I look, at, let, let's not be doom and gloom throughout it. We, we have to. Uh, I get people on Twitter sometimes saying, oh, was, that was a gloomy one. We have to address the issues and we have to we have to look at them. And we are frustrated. And I'd like to think that we do speak up for a lot of Liverpool fans who, who, who don't get a chance to come on these podcasts or do a podcast there is a frustration I sit in the boozers when we were allowed to sit in the boozers you know when the soup of the day was a carling all that kind of stuff when you had to have a meal um and you hear the frustrations I know the frustrations and i know the frustrations at the moment and where they lie um but there were a couple of encouraging signs against united uh, just simply goals quite frankly there were there were opportunities missed as well for being your missed an absolute sitter didn't he when he just let that drag across his leg and it went out for it for the goal kick when he when he should have um when he should have popped that in. So th- there are opportunities. I'll just reel off our next set of games where we really do need to start picking things up. Tomorrow, of course, Tottenham away, eight o'clock kickoff, West Ham Sunday away, which is a half four kickoff, uh, Liverpool-Brighton at home on Wednesday. So, you, of course, basically you're talking Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, whatever. Um Brighton's is a quarter past eight kickoff uh, on the 3rd of uh, Feb. And then, of course, the big one, Man City, where you get a real kind of litmus test, don't you, one way or the other, uh, which is Sunday, the seventh half for kickoff. And then we round it all off with Leicester. So Leicester, Tottenham and Man City. I mean, normally you'd look at them and go, well, Brighton and West Ham, but our form against the bottom half of the the league has been shocking. So it might be, like we said earlier on, that City and Leicester and uh, Tottenham afford us a little bit more room and a little bit more... Uh, a little bit of a lack of respect, if you like, so we can try and um, exploit it. Just before we go, Matt, uh, how do you think the Tottenham game's going to go, kid?
1: I think it's a massive one. I think it, it, the, the result of West Ham at the weekend is almost dependent on what happens at Tottenham. E- even if Liverpool don't win at Tottenham, even if they were to, to draw or even to, to narrowly lose but play really well, score a couple of goals and look much better. I think that has a massive, massive knock-on impact for, for the future game. So I think it's going to be a really tough one. I think Harry Kane and, and Chung-Min Son are absolutely unbelievable. Their are best two players by an absolute distance in the area that Liverpool have struggled really on that sort of right-hand side of their defence. I think it's a bit of a mismatch in that sort of area. But yeah, fingers crossed Matip and, and Henderson can both play a full part in the game. Hopefully, if they get through, training they will will be fine to to play in that match so i think if they're both there they're both fully fit and and fully ready to get henderson back into midfield it'd be absolutely enormous i think he's been massively massively missed i think he's only played about 140 minutes or so alongside tiago in that midfield the rest of his minutes have have come in defense and and stuff like that so i think to to get those two in the midfield would be massive and look if things like that go for liverpool they can have henderson and matt up there they play pretty much as they did against Manchester United, create a few chances. I think they give themselves a, a real, real chance. So I think it's a real tough one to, to sort of go with a, a score prediction or anything like that. But I'm positive that, that Liverpool can get at least a, a draw in that one. I think they they will turn up. It's a big game. It's a, a massive game. You know, we, we, we seem to talk about every every next game is the biggest game of the season, isn't it? But I think absolutely, again, it, it is true to, the, to be fair in this one.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Sure. Yeah, absolutely huge. I, I agree with Matt. I think the return of Jordan Henderson is massive, as, as big as probably any player could be at this stage, but apart from you know Van Dyke or something fanciful. But I think Liverpool have lacked leadership in recent times, you know, Van Dyke's a vocal presence. Henderson's always chirping away at them. They play games without Millman. You know, that's that's three of the four in the kind of formal leadership group of the club. We've we've been out, we've been missing. I think Henderson will help repair that right hand side a little bit. You know, Trent struggled when he's not been there to have that triangle going with Henderson and Salah, I think that'll give him a lift. Matip as well, you know, presuming that he'll be back and he'll be fit. Pop gave indications that he's been training and obviously he was left out at the weekend with this one in mind, it seems. So, yeah, I mean, he's he was the guy who got the assist, wasn't he, the, the last league goal Liverpool scored, I think, I think I'm right in saying. So, you know, it's, um, it, it, it's big. It's a huge game. I think a lot of it relies on Mourinho's approach. I thought it was interesting, United, albeit in the FA Cup, a little bit more bold you know, in terms of where they played Rashford and where they allowed them to be and stay on the pitch. And, and they tried to build from the back in a, in a slightly more expansive way than they do sometimes. I think if Spurs do a little bit of that, and maybe if other teams over the next few weeks start to perhaps believe that Liverpool are really struggling, when I, I do think they are. Obviously, that's <laughs> that's clearly been a key theme of what we've been talking about. But I think the threat is obviously still there. Like you, like you saw at the weekend, it was great to see Salah. Bag a couple, score with his right. Couldn't he, could he even have had a hat trick with that other chance he had? So, yeah, I think, I think there'll be a couple more, couple of goals in this one. I think both teams will score, but hopefully Liverpool get that, uh, that odd one more than Spurs and get it over the line.
2: Yeah, fingers crossed. 2 1 or 3 2 to Liverpool, uh, is my optimistic one. Well, listen, thanks, guys. I just think it's brilliant that Liverpool are, uh, are, are purposely letting the rest of the league know what we used to be like, uh, before we kick on again. Um, it will get better, we know it'll get better, it'll improve, it'll have to. We're too good for this to happen to us, it's just uh, you know, it's just one of the phases we have to keep behind them at the end of the storm, folks. We know how the song goes, don't we? At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky, it will be on the horizon, I'm sure, soon. Matt Addison, thank you very much, pal. Your opinions always uh, really regarded, and I really appreciate it. Sean Brads, thanks very much, pal. And uh, I shall see you all soon on the next uh, poetry emotion. Fingers crossed, the results for Tottenham, and let's get back on the road to success. Up the Reds. See you all again soon.
0: You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion Podcast on the Blood Red Channel.